Amen. God is good? And all the time? God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to meet together in your house. We thank you for the technology some can meet in their house with us. And Lord, we just ask today that as we open up your word, Lord, that you would allow us to see what you want us to see. Lord, that as we open up your word, as we have just sang, Lord, we would see your glory. We would understand that as we open up your word, Lord, that your word needs to penetrate our hearts. Lord, that we would internalize. We would pray the prayer of David today as we open up scripture. That, Lord, you would seek our heart. Lord, that you would reveal the wickedness that is in us. And so, Lord, we, we want to worship you, but we want to dig into your word, and we want to respond to you. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated this morning, and uh, glad that you chose to worship with us today. And so we are uh, doing our schedule a little bit different this morning, and so we're going to kind of break up the message into two parts. And so I want to invite you to turn with me to John 17. Uh, John 17. So we're going to start... A new series today, and really this morning will be mostly just introductory to that series. And so I would invite you uh, to join us the next eight weeks or so. We're going to walk through uh, the letters of John to the church found in Revelation. And so uh, we see in the church uh, and in Scripture the reality and the, the theme of, uh, of our series is called The Church is Essential. And I believe the church is essential. Uh, it is essential because Jesus is essential. And it is essential because Jesus said that, that the church is his bride. That church is the body of Christ. That Jesus is the head of the church. And so I believe the church is essential. Now, I made up a, a statement this week, and if I make something up, there's a good chance it may not make sense. And so I want to read it for you today, and then you guys can give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down online or in person. Here's the statement. You got what you got because you did what you did. Thumbs up. Thumbs down. All right. You got what you got because you did what you did. Here's, an, here's maybe a, a, a simpler way to say that. Every choice has a consequence. Every choice has a consequence. Now let's think in terms of current culture and the thought here, the church is essential. The culture is what it is because the church has been what it has been. And so that is a little stinging to me. Let me read it for you again. The culture is what it is because the church has been what it has been. You see, as the church is supposed to be essential... The church is essential. Brad Powell puts it this way. The church is the hope of the world when done right. The church is the hope of the world when done right. In other words, the church becomes non-essential when the church is done wrong. And I think for us as a church, we must reflect and ask the question. Yes, we agree the church is essential, but we must ask the question, has it been effective? The church is the hope of the world when done right. The church becomes non-essential when done wrong. You see, unity comes in Christ, through Christ, for Christ. And if the church is going to be essential in our community, in our country, then the church must be living in unity. 
Now, I'll invite you already to John 17. And we started the year in John 17. Or if you remember, we started with the theme of one. And we understand as we kind of walk through this, is a, you know, this has been one of the craziest years, right? And so as we were all in quarantine, we kind of, you know, unity, uh, it doesn't mean proximity. Like we can still be unified as a church even though we're not meeting as a church. And, and then even when we think about currently what we're going through is like unity doesn't necessarily mean uniformity. Like we don't have to be the same. We just have to live in Christ. And so the last night that Jesus was on the earth and as he was about to be arrested, he was praying with the disciples. And we've looked at this passage pretty extensively, but I want to I go back and look at it with fresh eyes this morning. So John 17, Jesus is praying for us, the church. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, their being the disciples. And so now he's, he's looking into the future, and he's looking to the church. And his prayer here, it says, verse 21, that they all may be one, that the church would be unified. As you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. And here he gives us the reasons why. So he's praying for unity in the church. Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. That the world may believe that you sent me. In other words, the reason Jesus is praying for us, the church, is that we would be unified so that people would believe Jesus. I can't think of a better reason to be living in unity. He goes on, though, to say, let's look at uh, verse number uh, 23. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one. And here's the second reason. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So Jesus has his prayer. I want them to be in unity. And the reason I want them to live in unity is because I want people to know and I want people to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus was sent for us. That God loves everyone. Unity. Skip down to verse number 26. And I have declared to them your name and will declare in that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus is praying for you. And we understand the scripture teaches us that right now in this very moment that Jesus at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. I believe that if Jesus felt like this was important enough prayer for him to pray his last prayer on earth, I believe even in this moment Jesus is currently still praying that prayer. God, allow the church to be one so that people would believe and know. And then he makes this statement in verse 26, that the love with which you loved me, God, may be in them as he says Jesus is in us. In other words, a lack of love in my heart means there's a lack of love or a lack of Jesus in my life. If Jesus is making the statement that I want the love of God in them, that's in me, and I am in them, then the, 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 what we have to understand then is if, if there is lack of love in my life, it's because there's a lack of Jesus in my life. And that's a little bit alarming to me. You see, it's interesting that at life, you guys are quite aware of this, it's been very evident in the last week or so, that we can all look at the exact same thing and see two different things. And, and I want to I prove that for you this morning. So back in 2015, this image of this dress went viral. 
And, and so I want you, uh, whether you're online, maybe you're online, you see this dress. There's two colors in this dress, okay? And I want you online to tell us what two colors you see. And so as you watch that online, you see people giving their answers, you're going to see uh, colors you didn't think that were in there. So let's, let's figure this out in the room today. Uh, I see this dress as being black and blue. It means you don't. What, were you offended that I see it black and blue? Who says, who sees the, the dress as black and blue? Everybody look around and be disgusted at them like you were at me. All right. How many of you see the dress as gold and white slash cream? All right. We're about well, maybe 60-40 gold. That's why y'all were all mad at me for just seeing a, bless, a, a dress blue. All right. Let's look at another one. Again, if you're online, Leave in the comments on the shoe. What are the two colors you see? In person, this is maybe a little harder for you guys to see because the image isn't quite as clear, but put the two colors of the shoe that you see. For me, I see white and pink. How many of you see white and pink? All right, how many of you see gray and teal? All right, look around. So it's about the same in the first service. More people are seeing white and pink than gray and teal, and it may have to do with, you know, the colors in the room today. Here, here's the point. In life, we, we, we can see the same thing, but see two different things. And, and in life, we all go through life with a set of lenses in the way we see things. We all see things. This is a little crooked. Uh, the way we see things. Like right now, as I look through the glasses, everyone is just blurred. I can't see anybody clearly. But our, our lenses that we look through have the potential to skew our view. And the reality is when I think about uh, my lenses and, and the lenses that you wear, because we all wear lenses. We all see the world through our own lenses. And our lenses are created by our preconceived ideas or our presuppositions or maybe the, what our parents taught us or maybe the region of the country we grew up in or where we lived or our own life experiences. And so... What I'm asking you to do this morning as we look through Scripture is to take your lenses off and as you go through social media this week, maybe to put the lenses of somebody else on and how do they see things and what are their life experiences. What I do know to be completely accurate this morning is that what, what God sees in the church and in our culture, grieves his heart. And if my heart is also not grieved by what is going on, then maybe what Jesus said applies to me. When I was 21 years old, and, and I'll just, I'll be completely honest with you, my, my glasses, my lenses, I see the world through, um, I use this term loosely, middle-aged, man, a middle-aged white man, a middle-aged white man who grew up in farmland in the wheat fields of Kansas. There were things in my life that were, I was very ignorant to as a kid growing up in Kansas. But I remember being, uh, my wife and I, we were 21 years old and we were a few months away from graduating Bible college and we were interviewing different pastors or they were interviewing us for, to be their youth pastor. 
And still to this day, when I walk by that room where we had this conversation, I, I have a flash memory of what took place of that conversation. 21 years old, and, and again, my lenses were my lenses. I couldn't do much about it. But I remember the pastor saying to me and to my wife, I'm not racist, but... Don't ever say that sentence, okay? But he said, I'm not racist, but if you're going to win those black folks to Jesus you're going to have to do it outside the four walls of my church. And I, I added maybe some clarity to my lenses. And I was 22 years old. Joy and I were working at a church in Austin, Texas, and the pastor asked me to start a bus ministry. And I said, well, I'm the youth pastor. And he said, I don't care. And so I said, I won't pick up teenagers. And uh, after a month or so, we, we were picking up 20 or 30 students, and most of them were, were either white, uh, many from Honduras, uh, Mexican, or African American. And it didn't take long for me to realize that what I was doing was upsetting the church. And one of the, and I use this term very loosely, best members of the church, left the church because they didn't want their daughter being with those people. And so I ask you today to take off your lenses and look through the lenses of other people. About 10 years ago, I had the privilege of, of coaching high school basketball in, in Kansas. And my head coach, the one I was working for, his name was uh, Brant, was what we called him. His name was Anthony Brantley. And I use past tense because he passed away three years ago. But he was my boss. And driving the hour back and forth or riding on a bus back and forth to Wichita for three or four years with this man, I learned, I learned a new perspective. And the Lord allowed me to, to take off my lenses and to see the world through his eyes a little bit. And what I learned is that even though we grew up in the same town, even though his parents uh, were godly people, and even though we were only a few years apart and in the same town, our life experiences were different. His glasses that he was looking through were way different than my glasses. And as we would approach a tournament and the table almost without fail, if they didn't know him or me, they always addressed me first as the head coach. And I experienced a little bit through his lenses. And what I'm asking you to do this morning when, as we get to the scripture is to take off your glasses and put on someone else's glasses. And this week, if you're like me, you've been filled with all kinds of emotions. Anger, hurt, compassion, I hope, and everything in between. And if you're like me, it could be from minute to minute. 
And when I think of my own life, so here's, here's what I'm wrestling with this week. As a 21-year-old kid talking to this much older pastor, and he says, I'm not racist, but I said nothing. As a 22-year-old, when the family left the church, I said nothing. When I experienced what I experienced with Coach Brantley, I said nothing. And so for me, what I have to internalize and what I'm asking you to internalize is the prayer of David. Lord, search my heart and see if there's anything wicked in me. The easiest thing for us to do as individuals, the easiest thing for us to do as Christians is to see everyone else's faults. And what James said is that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And then he says, but if you show partiality, you, you commit sin and you are convicted by the law as a transgressor. And for me, I, I would not, I believe I am not a racist. But I also believe there's been times in my life where I haven't called racism racism. And I haven't defended those who have been oppressed. And I wonder in my own life if sometimes my silence has really been deafening. And I wonder as the church has lost its voice in culture, is it also because we've been silent? And I'm going to ask Ben and, and the praise team are going to lead us in a song this morning. And, and here's what I want you to do as we sing. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give you any really direction on how to worship this morning. But the one thing I'm going to ask you to do is to pray the prayer of David. God, would you reveal the prejudice in my life? I, I can't fix the world right now because what the world really needs is Jesus. But what I can, what I am responsible for, what every person in the room today and online is responsible for is this right here, your heart. And if you're quick to say, yeah, but, then it's possible that the lack of love in your heart is because there's a lack of Jesus in your life. God, I ask in this moment today, Lord, that as individuals today, you would give us, God, the ability to take an honest look in our life. God, forgive me for not being Jesus to everyone. Forgive me, Lord, for hatred in my own heart. Forgive me, Lord, for not being more sensitive. And God, I pray in this moment that we would take the opportunity to, to acknowledge we as individuals, 
we as a church, we as a community, we as a country, we need Jesus. Again, as they lead us through worship today, just speak to God. Respond however God leads you to respond. Oh 
God, we come before you today, and Lord, we are, we are grateful for grace. We're grateful for mercy. We're grateful for Jesus. Lord, I pray as we dig into your word a little more today, Lord, that you would challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us, and God, that you would uh, heal us as we repent. Again, we, we want to just say thank you for Jesus and the cross and for forgiveness. It's in the powerful and the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. Now, I want to ask you to, to get your Bibles out again and turn to Acts 17. Because here's, here's the reality. I'm asking you as an individual... Uh, to take off your own glasses and your own lenses and, and put on someone else's lenses. And the reason to do that is because it allows us, as we see things from a different perspective, to have compassion. The easiest thing for most of us to do is just to, def- to be defensive. And if we take our own glasses off and and look through the lens of someone else, it leads us to compassion. However, it doesn't matter who you are and what glasses you have. We, We have limited perspective. But there's someone who has perfect perspective. And there's a way that we can see, clearly see what, what our response is. We can clearly see how we should act. We can clearly see how God views us. And in Acts 17, verse 24, it says, God made the whole world and everything in it. God is the creator. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temples made of hands. Thank God that the Spirit of God dwells in believers. In verse 25, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all Things. And I want us to look specifically at the first part of verse 26. And he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. In other words, we're all created in the image of God, by God, for God, and his glory. And when God looks at his creation... He doesn't see races. He sees one race, the human race, one creation. We're all one in Christ. We're all created in his image. And because of that, we can have unity. Now I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5. Because the truth is, if you go back far enough, guess what? We all have the same parents. We're all of the same blood. We're all created in the image of Christ. And when we think about this perspective, what is, what is God's perspective and how he sees us? And God doesn't make mistakes. 
So, so what's the role as we kind of come full circle to the fact that the church is essential? The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ and the goal of the church. Here's, here's the goal of the church. Here's the mission of the church. And when I say church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about believers in Jesus Christ. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then you are a part of his church, the church. We are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And what is our responsibility as individuals, as the church, the body of Christ? Verse number 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the mission, the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to, the, to, to us the word of reconciliation. Again, the second time here says, what is the responsibility of the church? It's the ministry, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the mission of the church found in that verse, that we are to call people to reconciliation with God, their creator. Verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what is this ministry of reconciliation? It's a big word. What does the word mean? It simply means to restore relationship, to be friends again, to restore the relationship. And so we understand through Scripture that all men are created equal and all men are born into sin we don't have a skin problem, we have a sin problem. We are all born into sin, and because we're born into sin, our relationship with God, our Creator, has, the fellowship has been broken. And Jesus came, and He died on the cross so that we could have reconciliation with God, our Creator, a restored relationship. So the primary purpose of the church, the primary purpose of believers is to call all people to reconciliation to God. That's the mission. We say it all the time. We're leading people to find and follow Jesus. That's the ministry of reconciliation. The secondary purpose, really, of the main purpose is that we are call one another to relational reconciliation and if we understand the primary goal of the church of a believer is to call people to reconciliation with God here's a statement I want us I want you to wrestle with one of the reasons the church has not done well with the primary goal is because the church has not done well on the secondary goal And we have been deaf or blind or ignorant or whatever word you want to fill in to what really we need to be hearing. And so I put someone else's glasses on so that I can show compassion so that I can show them who has given them compassion. Jesus, pray that we would be one so that people would know and people would believe. Unity is going to take from me some humility. Unity cannot happen without humility. When God looks at us 
today. When God looks at mankind today, he only sees two types of people. Two categories of people. Those who have been reconciled to God and those who have not been reconciled to God. And that's it. For us who have been reconciled to God, our responsibility is to call people who haven't been reconciled to God to be reconciled to God. And so the question for you today, if you have been reconciled to God, are you doing and fulfilling the ministry of reconciliation? And for those of you maybe in the room today or maybe watching online today, have you, is there some of us today in here that have never been reconciled to God? What, what do I mean? Again, it's that restored relationship with God our Creator. Well, how do I restore the relationship with God, my creator? How do I be reconciled to God? There's three easy steps. I'm going to admit that I'm a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, I am separated. My fellowship with God is broken. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that Jesus died for me. And that's what the scripture clearly says. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So I'm going to admit that, yes, I need reconciliation. I need a restored relationship with God because I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died so I could have a restored relationship with him. And, and the C, the third step here is I'm going to confess. I'm going to confess that I can't get to God without Jesus. And I'm going to confess my need for Jesus. And if you're in the room today or online today and you've never been reconciled to God, I want to walk you through a prayer that would help you just those three steps. What we would call the A, B, and C of salvation. And so whether you're here in the room or online, whether you're watching live or this is recorded, you're watching later, it's a simple prayer. You talking to God. And you may say something like this. God, I, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for my sins. And I confess that I need Jesus. And I'm asking you in this moment to forgive me, to save me, to reconcile me. And the great news is that if you, if you prayed that prayer, whether you did it right now, whether you do it in five minutes, the, the prayer of salvation, the prayer of admitting and believing and confessing, then God says he now has adopted you into his family. And, and I'm going to ask you if, if you did that in person today, in the room, or maybe online, I, I want to celebrate that with you. I want, to, I want to give you some information that would help you grow and know the decision that you've made. And so simply, whether you're here or online, just text the word SAVED. Text the word SAVED to the number on the screen. If you're online, it may be easier for you just to put in the comments, SAVED. We'll reach out to you. Just, we just want to encourage you. We want to, we want to celebrate with you. And for those of us in here that have been reconciled to God, again, I'm going to ask you to continue in your own heart to pray the prayer of David. 
Lord, is, is there things in my life I need to confess? And we need to take off our glasses and we need to put the glasses of Christ on. You see, Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to death. so that we could be reconciled to God and he died for all. And as we see individuals, let's take our glasses off and let's see people like Jesus sees people. Aren't you thankful that the message of Jesus, the gospel came to you? And I, I, wanna, I want you to stand with me this morning and, and we're gonna close this service out by just worshiping and praising the name of Jesus praising the name of Jesus, that he was willing to die in my place. And, and as we think of the gift of Christ, may it challenge us to lay down our own glasses, our lenses, and see people like Jesus sees people. God, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we ask this morning as we, as we conclude this service with a time of worship and praise, Lord, we want to be reminded, we want to be grateful, we want to be thankful for the gift of Jesus. We want to praise the name of Jesus, Lord. We, we've read the end of the book. We see at the end in Revelation, Lord, that all tribes, all nations, all tongues will stand in the very presence of God and they will be singing praises to the Savior, Jesus. And so, Lord, we want to do that now. We want to praise the powerful name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.